Hey, Piers, it's Michelle. I've got some exciting news. The Piers Project has just produced the first Australian women's fashion retailer podcast for Forever New. This podcast, Unforgettable Moments, is about the defining moments in a woman's life and how they shape us into who we are today. Some of the amazing guests featured on this four-part series include social innovator and a winner of the AFR's 100 Women of Influence, Madeline Butchner, award-winning ballerina Isabel Dashwood and professional high jumper Amy Pekovic. Make sure to tune in now to Unforgettable Moments, the forever new podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just head straight to the link in this episode's description. Now, let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Guess what, Peers? There's a golden lesson hidden in every experience. You just need to roll up your sleeves and search for it. Just ask today's guest, Tim O'Sullivan. I'm thrilled to welcome Tim onto the show today. Tim's the co-founder of Bayjuice and the co-owner of Benny and Me Cafe in Essendon, Melbourne. I'm so excited to talk to Tim today about how he co-founded Bayjuice and how his willingness to learn from every opportunity has led him to where he is today. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado... Here is my conversation with the awesome Tim O'Sullivan. Tim, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm super pumped. Um, It's a shame we can't be face-to-face, but we're, we're making it work with these circumstances. Love it. Yes, I know. It's, you know, at least Squadcast has come to the rescue this yeah, time around. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So, you know, you and I recently connected. Actually, I think we connected several months ago now and on yeah. socials when you reached out to us. And when I looked into you and the awesome businesses you're running and work you've done over the years, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you. I'm excited. And I've reached out because I've, like, I've sort of connected with a few of your previous ones and, um, yeah, I, I like the whole concept and, and everything you're doing, so I'm excited. Thanks. 
Awesome. Cool. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Tim. I'm 26 years old and I live in Melbourne at the moment. I currently run two businesses, different partnerships and, and different industries. I actually, for the last three and a half years, have owned a cafe in Essendon. For people not from Melbourne, it's sort of in between the airport and the city. So it's a pretty good little spot. And we've sort of grown over the last three years from about a 38 to 40 seat venue to about 130 plus. And I definitely found my calling. I love hospitality. It's awesome. It's coffee, food, we've introduced cocktails. So I'm quite passionate about hospitality um, and I've always loved it. Um, And then my little side hustle turning into my overtaking hustle for the last sort of over two years has been importing Korean pear juice, so from South Korea. Um, and that has been my, my little baby for two years with my girlfriend and my best friend. And so, yeah, that's our, our juice called Bay Juice. So that's sort of been on shelves in sort of Melbourne and some spots in Queensland over the last sort of 12 to 15 months. So that's sort of what I'm working on at the moment and very excited for and just throwing everything at. So, yeah, just Melbourne boy going through a startup phase with a full-time gig. I do the full-time gig with my family as well. So I've got my family cafe and then my girlfriend and my best friend in the other business. So I'm trying to juggle it all, but, you know, I, I love it and it's um, quite easy to work with and you can always give, I think, constructive criticism to friends and family. So it's helped us sort of grow a bit faster. So, yeah, that's a, a little short one there. Love it. Very cool. And, you know, I think I'm really I'm really excited to dive a bit deeper into the cafe, how you grew that with the, the family, and then yeah. also Bay Juice, which is such a cool brand that you've built, as you said, very recently. Um, but before we do, I'd like to start with a question that I've, I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, what did your parents do? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, um, I was actually looking at some baby photos like a couple of days ago and I was just I was just looking at them and we had sort of like a little pretty cute little happy little bringing up and it made me realize that we were pretty lucky um growing up and so my dad was always in sort of sales he was a GM at like a quite a big IT company he actually started as um quite low in the food chain and then worked his butt off and got to the top eventually which was kind of um rewarding and something that still inspires me today knowing from how low a level he was to getting to the top and he just did it through being authentic and, and just a good person, really, uh, and working very hard, obviously. So he was always the sort of sales guru, did the nine to five, grinded. And then my mum was a primary school teacher. So if I ever say bloody hell, she'd pull me up and say, don't you swear. And we'd always argue whether bloody hell was a swear word or not, but still to this day, I don't know. So I had um, had my salesy dad who yeah, was a classic nine to five. And then my mum was a teacher for 25 plus years I think uh, doing preps and different grades so it was um it was always funny she always just had homework spread out everywhere correcting things and she had pretty good relationships with the class and sometimes I'd go in and um it was cute so yeah I had a pretty sort of classic mum and dad nine to fives and teaching so I had a good little upbringing I was lucky so interesting. And how do you think that that shaped you, you know, seeing your dad work so hard, you know, climb climb up the ladder and really get to the top and then your mom, you know, work hard in her own right and, and kind of, um, you know, inspire the children that she was working with? You know, how do you think that shaped you into who you are today and kind of the, the line of work and that you're currently doing? Yeah, I think both of them definitely have rubbed off on me. With mum, she's very soft and nurturing. So I don't think I have that 
bulldog, savage approach. I'm always sort of the a bit softer, which I think in business is still definitely a positive. It's great to hustle. That's great. But, you know, you can't be shoving things down people's throats. So I think that that, that soft approach has helped me in a number of areas with growing our businesses. And then for my dad, I think the thing that inspired me most was he was quite a successful businessman. And then for him to join with me and start a cafe and mop floors, clean coffee machines, sweeping, everything, taking bins out. You know, he just went from high to really grinding again in a whole new industry. And then for me to see that, I was doing it tenfold. And, you know, I'm a third of his age or half his age or whatever it is. And I was like, okay, I should be pulling my weight more. I'm a bit younger and have more energy. So then that really kicked me into gear. So even today, we've got maybe 18, 19 staff. He still leads by example, which is rubbed off on me. And I'm still mopping floors. I still take trash out. Um, I'm still crunching all the boxes every Tuesday from all the groceries and all the meat orders we have at the cafe um, and taking it out. You know what I mean? So those small things that, you know, I've been watching him do as, you know, the, the main owner of the cafe and coming from quite a big sort of corporate background to see him still doing all those grindy little chores is quite inspiring. And, you know, it's he'd rather his staff, you know, there and working with customers and building rapport. So he's there, you know, doing some of the dirty stuff behind the scenes sort of after hours. So I think both that has helped me with my, my work ethic and just just sort of how I am with people as well. I think from my mum, she's very soft nature. So I think that's rubbed off a bit as well. Yeah, I love it. I find it I find it fascinating kind of going back to the roots and, and understanding, you know, kind of what has, how you've been wired and what your parents have kind of instilled in you, et cetera. You know, take us back to Tim, the early years, you know, as a kid, what were you like? You know, were you kind of boisterous what what you know what did Tim in the early years love to do yeah so I I was pretty I was always naughty like definitely I was always a bit cheeky from sort of after kinder to primary school I was yeah always definitely the cheeky sort and then even going to sort of high school still cheeky it took me a while to sort of upgrade to the high school life knowing that you've got to pick and choose when to be naughty but I but I always was I always loved my sport I always loved hanging out with friends I always liked being social and doing things. So I was always like that from young to old. Even looking at those old photos was quite funny. There's photos of me just being held by my ankles upside down, pulling faces and things like that, just being a bit of a madman. So, yeah, I think I've always sort of had, had a bit of energy always and I still feel like I'm that way now. A bit antsy just sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I find it, yeah, that's great. I mean, what talk to us then a little bit into, you know, Heading into kind of, you didn't head to university, but I guess your teenage years and then your decision, I guess, to not go to uni and and what that really, you know, meant for you. It's been amazing. I've been diving into this quite heavily um, with a friend who's really looking to sort of work in the career space and understanding mindsets a little bit. And it's quite funny. We've been talking together and he's someone who's been studying for five or six years and I'm someone who's had freedom for five to six years. And it's very ironic that I think he wishes that he did whatever he wanted for three or four years after school. And I think, oh, sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, maybe in business I would have gotten through a few of these steps a bit faster if I'd just sort of maybe done something more educational for myself. So it's amazing how, you know, we both wanted what sort of each other are doing. And, you know, there's I, I don't think there's really a right or wrong answer. And, and diving into me more was really talking about all the experiences I've had from living overseas working all sorts of different jobs, meeting different people, working at 
night shifts, mornings, during the days, hospitality, phone calls, door knocking, sales. I've sort of tried it all and, you know, I got my, my hourly wages. I still had lots of fun on the weekend. I went out all the time. So I had, I, I, I loved my time after school. I had so much fun all the time. So looking back, and I, I don't regret not going to university. And I think I didn't particularly like school um, just because it was just the format of it. And, and I, I, I still print things off and I still write on notebooks. I don't really use Word docs or anything. I'm still a bit old school. I have my whiteboards and I do it very hands-on. So I didn't love the classroom. And then as soon as sort of school was finished, I was just so happy to have it off my shoulders. Um, I think I got about 39 in VCE I got in the end and I only wrote my name on a couple of them, I reckon, the, the final exams by towards the end of it. I was just a bit over it. So I'm a big believer in all of my experiences have really shaped me and I was really glad that I just said yes to things after school, yes to this job, yes to that. My friend asked me if I wanted to travel overseas and live in Vietnam with him and he's going to go on a holiday and I should come with him and then we end up having a holiday in Hanoi for two months and then we actually found a really cool business concept and that was bringing cool international artists from Australia over to Vietnam because they've never really heard our music, whether it's from like a client liaison to like a Peking Duck, whether it's funky or whether it's sort of dancing. They've never really heard our music over there at all. So all of a sudden we were bringing artists over to Vietnam. We were having all these cool rooftop parties, pool parties, and we were hosting them. And I think I was about 20 at the time and I lived there for a year, just, just over a year. And then we had a really cool business and then it failed and I came back to Melbourne with nothing and it was kind of like, what do I do now? So it was a bit of a roller coaster, but I, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way, just with the way I've been able to develop, meet heaps of different people, try things. You know, I can make cocktails, I can probably still make a burger at McDonald's, um, and now I can import 7,500 kilos of pear from um, South Korea, which I could never do as of 12 months ago. So all the things I've learned along the way, I believe, have been due to experiences and for me, being able to just sort of take them on a little bit and say yes to things has helped me develop, not so much more the um, classroom study, but um, I, I do understand everyone's different. But for me, it's been hands-on approach and I wouldn't have done it any other way, I think. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I think, you know, I think so many of us can often just get fast-tracked onto that path of success. And I say that with in quotation marks, you know, yeah, yeah. that thing of, you know, you go to a good school, you get a, you go to a good university, you get a great job and you climb that corporate ladder, you know, and I think, I think it's always so fascinating and interesting to dive deep into why perhaps, you know, or to challenge that path and to actually think about, you know, yeah, and to actually think about, you know, is that maybe right for me and how I learn and how I want to evolve as a person? So I think it's really fascinating that you just kind of said, you know what, it's the classroom style of learning isn't for me and I'd rather just learn in the real, real world. I guess what advice, you know, would you give to our peers out there listening who perhaps they feel the same, you know, perhaps they feel like, oh my goodness, this classroom thing isn't for me. You know, maybe they're at uni, maybe they're halfway through their degrees, maybe they're, you know, they're just at a point in their career where they think, should I go back to uni to actually, or should I go to uni because I never went, you know, and actually try and maybe learn that way. You know, give us, I guess, a bit of advice around kind of how you'd approach that and, and what you would say to, to our peers out there. Yeah, I love it. So so for I, I think Bayjuice is a good example as it's new, it's fresh and it's current. But with the things for Bayjuice, I'm implementing things from the last five years from literally from working at the cafe. So I've just taken on social media at the cafe. I've done it for two years. So when Bayjuice comes rolling around, 
all of a sudden I've got two years of experience of, of doing some social media um, at my cafe and interacting with people and doing new ideas and getting better at taking photos. So that experience in the cafe helped with bay juice. Um, when I was working with McDonald's, I keep using this example, they put bin liner bags underneath the bin and then have the bin, right? So then when you finish the full bin, you take it out and there's spare bins. We do that at the cafe because I learned that at McDonald's. You know, in the bartending world, it's um, I did heaps of bartending in different places on Chapel Street. Benny and me, our cafe gets our license. All of a sudden, I'm implementing my bartending schools um, skills at the cafe now, making cocktails, doing all sorts of things, changing kegs. No one else at the cafe knew how to do that. So I'm implementing skills that I was get paid little to do when I was young. Now, when I'm 26 years old running the business, I'm implementing those skills again. And I think the last example would be with events. So I was in Ho Chi Minh running these events, and now we're looking at doing lots of different ones through Beijus and you know building our brand as a lifestyle brand and working with other partners. And I guess I know what I'm talking about. I know what we need. I know that you need a checklist, you need to do this. It's different roles that are after the event. Um, you need to follow up all the people, you know, all these different things that are involved with an event. From my experience in Ho Chi Minh, I'm implementing with Beijus. So I think you shouldn't take these little roles as nothing or as just a paycheck. Uh, uh, looking back, and I've got so much out of these smaller jobs that I'm implementing today, running my two businesses and, and really trying to grow. I'm implementing these small things from a bar to McDonald's to running events to doing all these things are all relevant to what I'm doing now. And if they're not relevant, there's still other little bits that I'm implementing as well. So I think all different jobs, there's always something to gain from it. You know, customer service, talking to people all the time. I used to do door knocking. And it was so frightening knocking on people's doors and trying to sell them stuff. But me and my best friend, who's my business partner today, said if we can just do this for six months and survive, we will get thick skin and we'll be able to sell anything to anyone with all the abuse you cop at a door. So I think from all these smaller jobs and experiences, I've just gained so much. So as much as it is great to have you know big titles, big degrees, with my experiences and, you know, being hands-on, I've actually benefited a lot from it and not just got a paycheck um, and not sitting here at 26 saying, well, that was great. I didn't get anything out of it. You know, what a waste of time. I got something out of all these small roles. So I think that should be or hopefully is encouraging for people that aren't following their dream right now, but at least there's some things you can grab from it that are going to help you grow with, you know, what you want to do essentially. So, yeah, that's my hot tip. love it well no yeah very well said and I just think you know so many of us could benefit from yeah just taking a minute to actually think about what we're what we're learning in our current roles if we're not super super feeling super passionate about them and and then also I guess how that could uh, be pulled forward into you know when we ultimately do you know end up doing the thing that we care about I want to dive a little bit deeper into the businesses. So talk to us about, you know, those early, firstly, the idea for Benny and me, you know, those early days kind of starting a business. You said that, you know, your dad quit his amazing, phenomenal, you know, corporate career and in sales and was really high up and you guys started it together. You know, what were those early days like and, and what were some of the steps you took to get this cafe off the ground? Yeah, so I think, um, so... It was quite challenging at the start and we sort of had looked around for a little bit. Dad actually sold his portion in the business. So then he sort of had a few different roles and wasn't really enjoying doing what he'd been doing for so long. So he wanted to mix it up. And then for me, I was um, I was going out all the time. I hadn't really had anything settled. So I think for him, he saw 
a path cross of him wanting to be in a new industry, me understanding a little bit of hospitality, but also needing a calling or a bit of routine in my life because I was a bit wild sort of three, four years ago. So he's gone, you know, I've found a couple of spaces we can look at, cafes, rent's cheap, great location, high schools, train station, main roads, buses, trams, and the rent's tiny because it all makes sense. It's a bit of a powerhouse station. That's Essendon Station. And then over the last year, they've built over like six, 700 apartments. So it was, it was pretty lucky. It was a good call in the end um, on the station. So it's just gone up. So it's amazing. So we went, you know what? It's a great little small little coffee cupboard to start. It's a kitchen. The staff are friendly. Let's give it a crack. So we brought it and we just sort of rolled with it for a little bit. But, um, you know, him seeing different opportunities with, you know, him doing some numbers, me seeing opportunities with going to cafes and seeing trendy furniture and all these different things. So the cafe was called Pepperoncino. Um, so it didn't really suit anything. So we're like, okay, we need to call it something else. My brother was living overseas at the time called Ben. So let's call it Benny and me. We'll include him. He's surfing in Mexico, chilling with his mates, doing whatever. Let's get him involved. We'll call it Benny and me, and that's me. Um, so we changed the name, did a big launch party, we upped our coffee, we got a new trendy coffee machine, which is through the coffee provider, and things are going really well. You know, we, we knew by having, you know, a quirky personality and, and the father, son, and then my mum as well combo, we found people love. So I'd be like, hey, dad, and then some like, is that your dad? I'm like, yeah, and they go, wow. And then, you know, all of a sudden they're in twice a day now because they really respect and value a family business and they see us interacting and they see us really giving it a crack. And because we weren't that ridiculous, minimal cafe, I think when people saw us giving it a red hot crack, they, you know, they, they appreciated it. You know, it wasn't like a million dollar fit out. Um, it was all minimal and real hipster people working without any customer service. It was us trying to really build this cafe and 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 sort of make it happen. So I think people sort of, you know, got invested with us as well, which was quite nice. And we grew up in the area. We had mutual friends with every second person. So it, it kind of helped as well. And then our prices, we sort of, we kept at a low price because we're surrounded by high schools. So we have every high school student in their morning and afternoon. It is insane. We have to have extra staff on for that one hour before school and one hour after school. It's just insane how many kids there are. So it's really good. So we've got a good little model. And then we were like, okay, you know, we're sort of stuck here. You know, we're doing really good numbers but we're not getting anywhere. So we decided to expand. So there's a position for lease behind us. So we knocked the wall through, got another 30 seats. And the minute we did that and finished it and opened it, it was just full every day, pretty much from the day of doing that. I think people just needed that space. You know, they, they loved having that freedom and getting, you know, two people sitting on a four table and having a big lunch. And, you know, it just really helped the, the vibe of the place. And then we built a courtyard, you know, four or five months later through this little laneway we had. Then we expanded next door over the last three months and now we're at like 135 seats and that slow progression, and I think this is a little bit like Bay Juice as well, the slow progression of developing the cafe helped us grow with it. It helped us manage it with staff. It helped us manage it through the kitchen, so we limited our menu. And then we did another room. We got a few more staff on again, helped the kitchen out again, did some more preparation ideas, and then we developed. So we just continued to grow with the business the whole time over the course of sort of 18 to 20 months. And I think that was what was amazing for us to to start at 30, go to 60, go to 90, go to 135, um, sort of in two to three month intervals. So we grew with the business. We understood our spendings. We understood staffing. We did all the percentages. And then we're like, okay, what's next? Let's get a liquor license. Let's extend our hours. Let's do this. We do heaps of catering now because there's so many schools wanting the catering. So 
it was a perfect case of just growing with the business. But for us, we were always always busy because we always wanted to go to that next step. So it's easy to say, but for us, we were like, what's next? What's next? What's next? Let's let's go bigger. Let's let's develop a new menu. Let's paint this room. So then me, mum and dad are all painting this room, you know. So it was us really wanting the best for the business and understanding that we'd invested money and a lot of time into this. What was the point of not giving it 100%? Uh, you know, and the the mornings you're like, I can't be bothered. You're like, well, you know, if we just do this for a few more years and continue to grow it, you know, there, there might be a greater outcome for us. So, you know, we've grown the business, we've, we've built the size of it and you know, our numbers are pretty solid. So if we can sell it, then, you know, what a great effort. So let's just keep pushing. So that's sort of the, the Benny Mean short, you know, just grew with it, kept pushing, we're always busy and we always had each other as well, which really helps. So when I when Dad was exhausted and done six days in a row, then I'll do six days in a row. He had a couple of days off. It was a bit mad like that, but we finally found our feet and everything was moving well before the the sort of circumstances. But um, we're still doing fifty kilos of coffee through a window during this crisis, so we're pretty lucky. And it just shows the rapport we've had with our local community. So we're not you know out there being some glam cafe where people are coming from Hawthorne and all over the place just to get a photo. We're very community focused. So the minute you can't travel anywhere, it's still traveling to our cafe. So I think that was a bit of credit to us. And hopefully that's, you know, uh, our story in short, sort of. You know, what I find really interesting about you, for one, know that it, it's phenomenal how you guys were able to just grow each step of the way. You know, every step it was expand. Okay, cool. How can we be better? Expand, leaning on each other as family members and really just supporting each other. And, and I guess having that community support is so, it's so amazing that you were able to build that. But I think the thing I find really fascinating about you is the fact that prior to the cafe, it's as if the there was, there was not as much purpose and direction and passion. Like now when you speak about it, you know, you, you get <laughs> yeah. so excited. Yeah. I'm sure when we chat about bay juice as well, you, you're also the same level, you know. But it seems to me that, you know, in those early 20s, as several years ago when, when you were still navigating things, you didn't really know what was up, you didn't really have much of a purpose or maybe not a core passion, you know, things were quite different for you, you know. I guess what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe don't have much purpose right now in their lives? You know, maybe they're just going through the motions, they rocking up at the job or they're, you know, at, at school or whatever it is, and they're at a point where they're just kind of going through the motions, they're going out a lot, they're not really very focused. You know, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, well, I think for besides the, the excitement of Benny, me before that was 20 jobs. So it's almost like a numbers game until... You know, so it, it took all these different industries and all these experiences and all these different times. But eventually, I got into that cafe. It was a bit of a grind at the start. It wasn't very nice, to be honest, at the start. So we weren't very proud of it. But the minute we got to put our touch on it was the game changer. So we renamed it, we repainted it, and we changed some of the menus, and then it was ours. So it was officially our cafe. Um, so I think for me, just having a little bit of ownership of something really made me feel a bit more accountable. Uh, maybe I wanted to go out on a Friday night, but no, I've actually invested some time into building this business. So I think it made me a bit more accountable. But I, I think I think it, it was just definitely a click moment, but I had always been passionate about hospitality. I think it was just finally given the opportunity to absolutely attack it. And I, I've always felt like I've had some good ideas. I've always felt like I was okay at marketing. I eat out all the time, so I, I know what's popular and standard food at a cafe. So 
I think the minute the ball was in my court to have an opinion and to have a say on things, um, I just had all this confidence. I did a really cool special um, in our first few weeks and then, you know, we sold tons of it. We we did this new juice and we blended it with ice and it was 40 degrees and we sold so many of them and there was really good margin on it. And all of a sudden I was like, hold on a second, we need to just back all of our ideas here because everything we're trying is really working. We've sort of understand the area, we understand our demographic. Let's just go for whatever our ideas are. So I think it took a while to find my calling, but when I found it, I really threw everything at it because Honestly, I'd had five or six years of being a free spirit and sort of being pretty easy going. So in my mind, I was like, well, I've had some fun. I've found a great opportunity here. I think it's time to just knuckle down and, and try to make the most of it. And even if it doesn't come off, at least I've had a crack at this industry and I know maybe it wasn't for me. And then maybe I could move on to something else and give something else a go. But once I started getting confidence and once we started having some you know, early success, you know, it was just on for young and old. It was like, okay, great, this is it, you know what I mean? But if that hadn't come off, I might have gone on the back burner and just worked there and tried to find something else I was passionate about. But but I did, I found it and I said, right, this is it. It's just time to absolutely go for it. But, you know, the last five years, there's never going to be running a small cafe or developing or building a cafe, no way. It was trying to find that million-dollar idea that took two weeks to make and sell, you know. like <laughs> It's just so unrealistic and everyone's still trying to find that two-week turnover one million dollar idea. So I think I accepted the fact that it was going to take some hard work and a bit of a grind. But I think I was definitely lucky to have the support from dad. But one thing that's taken me, you know, recently with a conversation we've had is, so I own about a quarter of the cafe. Um, I haven't put any finances into it. I've just put in 60, 65 hours a week for three years. At the start, it was six days a week, 12 hour days, six to six. So I've literally sacrificed lots and lots and lots of time and hard work and, and, and effort to build a business. So when I said to Dad the other day, I was like, oh, you know, we're pretty lucky that you've been willing to give, you know, a portion of the business, which we think's got a pretty good value now. You know, like it seems like, you know, we've got the good end of the deal. It's not fair on you. And he's like, well, if you and because Ben works there now as well since he came back from travelling, he goes, if you and Ben didn't work there, this, the, the cafe doesn't have the feel. It's got nothing really. He goes, I'm not going to be. He goes, I'm, I'm too old and tired. You know, I, I can't be there all the time. But you boys are front and center between you 120 hours a week. So every time someone walks in there, they know that one of you will be there. You'll give them every minute of every day, young and old, um, and you'll make sure the business runs well as well. You'll take care of it. So he goes, your value is just so high. So I think for, you know, for me, it was lucky that I didn't need finances, but, but also the other side was I did have to work my ass off for three years. And every single dollar I've made from that cafe has gone into Beijing. So it's been just as mentally challenging because I don't ever have any money ever for three years. I pay my rent and I get some beers on the weekend when I get the chance. Um, but besides that, all that hard work just goes into something else I'm passionate about. But but yeah, I, I just I've really felt my worth lately because of after having that conversation. And for anyone, I, I, I just saying this in case someone thought, well, you got to chop out, you got some equity in the cafe, you didn't put any money in. But yeah, I lost three years of every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the last three years. I've never had a weekend because I work at night times as well to serve beer. So so that, I've done some LinkedIn articles about sacrifice, and that was the core of it. It was just I, I've I've been rewarded with equity, but I've you know, I've had to work for it. So I think just a credit to myself and I think there's, you know, there's opportunities out there where you can still own something without having to put a million dollars in. So there's always opportunities. 
and then I took that one for all of it. So great. And I just think, yeah, it's so great that you made that distinction there. You know, what would be your key piece of advice when it comes to sacrifice? The, the, the most challenging part to start was was me and Sumi and my girlfriend have been in relationships for over three and a half years and, you know, I, not being able to spend time with her on the weekend and things like that was really difficult and it really tested our relationship and we were doing babies on the side. So then we're, you know, needing things from each other always for babies and business and then, you know, by the time we get home, we're just spent. So we don't spend much time together. So the, the biggest thing early was was definitely the balance and trying to make it work. I, I didn't try to make it work at the start. And it was just a negative environment because I was exhausted. There was no chatting. It was, you know, we, we watched half a movie and, you know, it was, there just wasn't much excitement in our life. So the, after we realized that, you know, we weren't in the greatest place by, you know, not living this free flow life of, fun and doing eating out every second night we realized that you know we had to find some smaller wins and we found some fun reality tv shows that are on australian tv i I watch korean dramas with her and subtitles it's really interesting actually it's really cool i love it so we started watching tv together we'd cook together um she'd come into the cafe and just help me close a little bit maybe we'll have a coffee together at the end so we started finding time together and making it work and then also Sort of every now and then I'd try and go out with my closest friends, have a pint, watch the footy, whatever it is, have a laugh. So I really tried to just have a few moments each week for myself, for our relationship. And then when I had to work on the business, I went really hard at it because I couldn't let that roll into the spare time I had with Sumin or my friends because it was affecting it. So the biggest thing, and it still is, trying to figure out is just the balance of, of sacrificing everything because there's no point working seven days a week, being completely unhappy and not rewarding yourself at all. You know, so, so we, we just try to have a good balance of things. And I think for us, the biggest thing, and the biggest thing for me is I'm quite, um, you know, result-driven as well. So I can really see the bigger picture. And now that we've got momentum with Beijus, I really see it being on a 1,000 shells quite easily. You know, I just, I'm so confident that, you know, it's just a matter of time before we get a big retailer and then every other retail dominoes. Um, so I'm very confident like that. So I just keep thinking if I just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Once we get a big break and, and once things start to unfold, hopefully we'll be in a position to maybe outsource the thousand things that we're all doing internally and maybe we can have our weekends. Maybe, maybe you know, in a couple of years we won't have the cafe and all of a sudden I'm gone from working five 10, 11 hour days to zero. So I'm just going for that little sprint of crazy hard work, even though, you know, the whole journey, you know, is a long journey, but I'm just going really hard for that short period just to set everything up. So then afterwards I can have a bit more freedom. So for me, it's going really hard, really all at once, trying to put everything together and then hopefully sort of finding time after the sacrifices and hopefully being financially rewarded from the cafe and the results of Beige, just let's be honest. So I'm just, sacrificing everything for the bigger picture at the moment, um, but, but still trying to have that life balance to keep me entertained and, and happy, really. I always love kind of diving into that, kind of what that that challenge, the, the hardest thing that's been for you throughout this journey, because it's, you know, there's no doubt about it. Anyone who started something knows how much energy, time, effort, money, etc. goes into it. And I just think it, it's it's really fascinating that you've and and just really great to hear, I guess, and and learn from your experience around 
that, although it wasn't the money for you, it was more that now, obviously, with baby juice, of course, but it was more the how do I actually just stay balanced in my life? How do I find a sense of balance because all the hours are really high with the cafe, et cetera? You know, I want to dive really, really fascinating stuff. I want to dive a bit deeper into Bay Juice. So talk to us about what what the company is, you know, where this idea came about and kind of those initial first steps you, you took to get it off the ground. Yeah, it's a... Oh, it's, it's amazing. I, I forget how long ago it was because time goes fast and then you tell the story so many times. It's like, was it 18 months ago? But it was over two years ago. You know, so it means too many have been together for about three and a half years. Um, so she's from Seoul in South Korea. We met on Chapel Street at a bar. I was bartending, served her a few drinks. She asked for a shot of whiskey followed by a pint. And I was like, wow, um, that is awesome. Um, <laughs> and she's really small. So I was like, that is, that is way to pack a punch. And then we pretty much hung out every day from that order for about 15 days, and then after three or four weeks, she'd moved in with me from meeting her, um, and we're still together. So after three, four weeks of meeting her, we moved in together, and we've been together for three years since, living together. It's pretty crazy, right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we just, it was, it was just like that. She is just very happy, and she, she was amazing, and she still is. So we're pretty lucky to sort of found each other. Um, but it was about after sort of 11 or 12 months after meeting her, I was like, right, it's your time to come and meet my family. We were actually living with my my family in Melbourne. I said to mum, no, I'm like, I've met this great girl after three weeks. Can she move into our family home? And they went, oh, I don't know. I'm like, well, I already <laughs> told her she could, so she got rid of her old place. Um, and they're like, well, okay. And then they, they're, they're her biggest fans ever. Like, they just, they hate we've moved out because she'd cook, she's hilarious, she'd always download the best, latest movies and we'd all watch them together. So we've got a really cool relationship. But after sort of 11 months, I went to Seoul, met her auntie, uncle, best friends from high school, primary school, her old work job, her work job before that. And I met every single one of them consecutively for about eight days, I reckon. It was insane. And they were all so excited to see me. And I guess Sumin was excited to show off her big, lanky Aussie boyfriend. So, you know, we just went out every single night. And it was soju, which is like a the Korean distilled liquor. It's like seven standard drinks in the size of like a a Coke bottle, um, and you just drink it straight and you eat food all night, and it was awesome. So every single night we're out drinking and bar hopping. And then luckily we went to a 7-Eleven and we were having a pit stop. You know, I naturally grab a beer because when you're in Southeast Asia and you can go to 7-Eleven and get a beer, it's still the coolest thing ever. It's just The novelty will never die. So I grab a beer and all of her friends grab, grab this little can of pear juice. So there I am drinking my beer. Everyone's fueling up on juice. Um, it just didn't make any sense. So I obviously asked, you know, what's with the juice? And um, they sort of looked at me as if I was, I was dumb. And they said, well, you got to drink the pear juice before, during, as much as you can because it helps you hangover. And I was pretty gobsmacked. It was a bit of a here, give me that one then. Um, <laughs> and started drinking it myself. And I didn't think much of it at the time. Um, but for all sort of five or six of them to all be drinking the pear juice and having a snack, I was like, wow, you know, it's, that's something. So the next morning... I pulled up a bit fresh, told Sumin we pulled up fresh, and she's like, it must have been the pear juice you had last night. Um, so, you, you know, you end up having a couple of them in the end. And I was like, there you go. Like, it just just took the edge off. Um, it was no like I was up doing push-ups straight away the minute I woke up. Um, so I was like, sweet. And, and to be honest, the can's full of sugar. It's not even 100% pear juice. It's, I think, like 14% pear juice. So we're like, okay, cool. So we did it the next night, had a bigger bottle, had a bigger bottle the next night to sort of put it through the ringer. And... I pulled up a bit better every night and seeing as I was sugar-fueled, I was like, it's pretty cool. And then I guess we went out a few nights and we started talking to some of Sumi's older friends. She worked at a really 
semi-famous sort of hair salon in Seoul and they cut some pretty exclusive people's hair and Sumin was a really cool boutique hairdresser. Um, so we started speaking to some of our older friends that ran these businesses and they're like, you should definitely bring to Australia. This is the biggest product in this entire country, both as a fruit format and as a juice because they soak the kimchi in it, all the beef barbecue, the beef bulgogi, which is one of the most popular barbecue dishes in Korea, it's soaked in pear as a natural sweetener. Um, so it's just huge. All their traditional dishes use Korean pear juice. Pregnant ladies drink it because it's really good. It's got high in folate. So pregnant ladies eat pear. It's got high in fiber. It's heaps of vitamins. So the kids are drinking it. It was just everywhere. And after you know, I took a little bit of notice of it, I was like, wow, this is a superfood. So I went back to Melbourne and was sort of chatting about it, brought some like samples of the cans back. And I said to Sumi, I'm like, well, where can we get 100% pear juice from? Because if, if we're having some good side effects from the 15%, surely 100% is better, you know. Not a scientist, but it sounds pretty obvious. Um, so we went and found this 100% pear juice. It was in a Korean pack in the back of a store. There wasn't even many, so I brought all of them. Tried it with 100% pear juice, felt way clearer, way cleaner. It was, it was awesome. It was like, wow, okay. So then I took it to the cafe on a Friday. And, and on the Friday, it was sort of like sort of 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, and I had about 40, 50 juices. And everyone that I had a rapport with, I gave them their latte or the cappuccino. I said, Take one of these pear juices. It's, it's, it's for free. Just drink it before you start drinking tonight. Let me know how you go. I'm thinking of importing it from Korea. And they go, wow, like, what the hell? This is bizarre. And then you sort of drop to them. The CSIRO sort of done a bit of an article, gave it some sort of, you know, clarity that, you know, it does help. And then they're like, sweet. And then, long behold, an optometrist, a solicitor came back on Monday going, yeah, this stuff was all right. And one of them was 30, one of them was 55. Um, I know both know Love a Red, and they're like, yeah, definitely took the edge off, gave it to some younger people, all my friendship groups. I've got 52 cousins. I gave it to every single cousin on Christmas, um, and everyone's like, sweet, what is this shit? This is awesome. So we, we were sort of on. Um, so then literally I reckon it would have been a month-ish after this. I said to Sumin, let's let's go back to Korea and, and find some pear juice. And, you know, having just had two weeks off from the cafe, I had to tell mum and dad that we're going to go back to Korea and we're going to go find a giant farm that produces pear juice. I, you know, I've only just learned what press juice is, uh, but I'm going to go tackle some Korean pear juice. So we literally got on a plane, went back to Korea, uh, went to Gwangju this time, so like a, a different state, um, where Sumin's mum's family is from. I call it like Brisbane. It's pretty rural and, you know, it's, it's just like the Brisbane version because not as big as the other cities. <laughs> All cool. So we, we went down to Gwangju. We met Sumin's dad there. We got up at five in the morning, caught a train to this rural area called Naju, which is the most famous place in the world for Korean pear. Out of all the other regions the pear come from, Naju is. Uh, I said this recently to someone. It was actually on um, like a documentary, like on Netflix, talking about empresses and em- em- empires, and they talked about the region of Naju. So it's so old and so famous. So we got all of our pears from there. Oh, sorry, we, we went and met the supplier there. Me and Sumin roll in, T-shirt, shorts, it's hot. She's got tattoos on her arms. I've got tattoos on my legs. We're 23. Uh, she's got a piercing between her nose. And we roll in with all these very corporate Korean men and go, we want to bring your pear juice to Australia because we drink heaps of alcohol. And they were like, cool, we've actually been talking about how we can export the product. So what are the chances? And we're like, yeah, what are the chances? Um, so they're like, sweet, let's uh, get you some samples. We're all trying these different samples. Sumin's translating everything. And to be honest, when I first met Sumin, her English was not very existent. Um, like just had good snippets. So her translation is really difficult. 
But now she speaks perfect Korean without really having learnt any, just living in an Aussie home for three years. But she says nice. So, yeah, so living in an Aussie home for three years, she's picked up English. But back then she really couldn't translate. So I was just sort of sitting in this meeting for an hour, just drinking juice after juice, just sampling it, until they said, let's whack on a hairnet, get some boots on, get a lab coat on, let's go check out the facilities and show them off to you. And this is an hour after meeting and we didn't really plan a meeting either. We just rolled in, guns blazing, saying this is what we want to do. And they go, sweet, let's go check out the manufacturing plan. And they gave us a full tour. This is where it's washed, picked, filtered, sterilized, come this way. This is where we print off all the packaging. We store it all here. This is our warehouse. And the warehouse was just enormous. Um, And I've been to a few and it was just massive. So we're like, sweet, I think these are our guys. So, you know, we had the, we had the chats that, you know, we're going to go back to Melbourne and sort of assess what we can do because we hadn't planned anything till then. We hadn't even know, we didn't have any idea what we're doing, but we found the supplier first, which um, I think was a, a really good result, actually. So he said to us, if you can go back to Melbourne and, and build a brand and build a concept where we're all ears, you know, that's where the, you know, the ball's in your court. So we flew back to Melbourne, built a brand, Built, set up a business. Again, we've got no idea what we're doing. I've been taught this. So we're calling accountants from an old footy club we used to play at. So he's setting up our accounts, building a brand with one of my business partners, old work colleagues, design firm who's doing it for us cheap. So we're just sort of haggling a little bit, getting all the setup done. And then sort of 12 months later, which was January last year, the stock arrived um, and we're away. So we put in an order for 50,000 units. We just borrowed money from everywhere. Assuming his dad was like, you know what, I'm completely invested in this as well. I'll loan you the money. Don't worry about paying it back anytime soon. I've got so much confidence in you guys. It'll come back bigger and better. Don't worry. So everyone was on the journey. Everyone was ready to roll, throw everything at it with us and we were so excited about it. So I think people sort of felt quite, you know, that, you know, we're going to give it at least a red hot crack. Um, And so that was over 15 months ago. And I guess sort of in short, we got into a few stores just so we knew the first three, four months, we didn't even have an e-com site or know what it was. So by May, we set one up, had you know, a couple of sales per week come through. Then we started reaching out to some articles and doing PR about, you know, this cool super fruit juice, helps your hangers, blah, blah, blah. Here's our story, which I've just told you, and everyone's like, that's awesome. You know, what a crazy story. Daily Mail did a three-page spread on us. We did like three, $4,000 worth of sales. We had 5,000 people on our website. We had people messaging us. We messaged it to all the stores we've been trying to get in. They go, oh, cool, yeah, a few features. And so that sort of got us going. Then it was an, an urban list feature. You know, that was for free. Again, that was us haggling people on LinkedIn. Hey, this is our product. This is our story. This is how exciting this is. And then they go, done. Okay, let's do one. Broadsheet, lots of industry-related startup, businessy sort of channels. And we've just done a couple um, with some sort of inside FMCG, food and drink, all these different sort of, big publications and and now sort of where we are now, sort of almost the start of May, we're just hit 100 stores. Online's going really well. We've almost got 5,000 followers on Instagram. We're engaging with people more. We're about to sort of sponsor a massive event series once things come back into, you know, into play. We're we're, we're ready to sponsor 10 events and, and build a great partnership so we can get brand awareness and, you know, build that vision of being a lifestyle brand, which is really important to us, not just the juice on the shelf. Um, we are events, we are health, we are hangovers. It's, you can cook with it. We've had um, a really famous cafe in Richmond ask for some samples so we could cook with it. He's a Korean chef. Um, so we're going to drop some off and he's just cooking with it. So, you know, so we really feel that multi-use lifestyle brand coming into play. And I think with the name and the colors, we could do some cool merch in the future. So 
that's the sort of start, middle, and, and sort of where we're at now. It was sort of a bit mad. It was um, try, learn, fail, learn, try, and then, you know, we're finally finding our feet and just really starting to know where we're going. We're pitching big retailers. You might have a trial with a massive retailer. We're finding out the next fortnight. You can align with that brand and all the brands that are a bit like, oh, it's so niche. Once we get one, like I said before, we feel like it'll really help us grow. So that's sort of in a nutshell, start, middle, and end, sort of. I could go on for a lot longer, I reckon. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the passion. Like I I love the story. It's fascinating. But your passion behind it, I think, you know, so many of us could dive into this game, this business game and think, I just want to, you know, give me the dollars straight away, give me that. And it, it's just, it's actually really not like that. And I actually really appreciate you being so open around, you know, your the financial situation you were in when you started, like everything and just being like, and just, I guess, you know, seeing the passion that you, you bring to this is actually super inspiring. And I think the many of our peers out there listening, like, you know, this is what business is like, you know, it is very much so just that one person or that team, you know, for you, it was you two, you know, you're, you and your partner and, and just going at it and going, hey, let's see if we can do something here. There's a need, there's a need, it's a niche, um, you know, we could stand out, which is really cool. I guess a question I've got for you is, you know, what's been one of your, I guess, biggest failures to date in this business world? You know, I often hate using the word failure because I always I always believe it's actually just the biggest learning curve. But I do, you know, I think so many of us don't want to start or we're afraid to start because of this quote unquote failure fear. You know, what, what's what been your biggest failure and what advice would you give on that? Yeah, I think um, it is. It is a funny word, failure. It's funny, isn't it? Um, I think for us the biggest mistakes we've made was being so worried about everything being so perfect that we outsourced so many things. Um, so in our first six months, we spent about 25 grand on marketing agencies. We didn't really have that money. Again, I'm making seven, 800 bucks a week at the cafe. Even though the amount of hours I'm doing, we're still sort of paying ourselves. Sort of, It started at 600 and I was doing 60 hours, but it was just so we could grow the business. And that was, again, part of the sacrifice. So the money is, is, is literally almost the entire week's wage and, and borrowing money to pay these agencies at the start because we were so worried that we had such a cool manufacturing and brand and product and everything. If we didn't execute it and market it really well, then everything was going to fail and we were screwed. But, you know, so we were just wasting money on marketing, PR. We were giving out free stock to people promising all this content, you know. So I, I think we, we were just a little bit too worried about everything being so perfect that was one of the the only things that i think we made a mistake on early and that was outsourcing things going okay they can do it better than us let's get them to do it when it's not really make or break whether the the instagram post is the same color or the same tone of color or or if the tone of voice is a little bit different from what we planned um you know these little things i was going Oh, what if, if we post at 2 o'clock, will we get as many likes if we post it at 3 o'clock? So I'm Googling, you know, what's the difference of posting it in the afternoon? But, you know, it's, it's not make or break, um, you know what I mean? And, and for, for us, you know, it's great to have an Instagram where we're interacting, we're doing fun competitions at the moment, but the biggest thing for us is the PR side of things, and we've done that all for free, except for sort of there's a two- or three-month period where we outsourced it, and it cost us a few thousand dollars a month, and we got a few leads from it, but... After we'd had a few articles, then it was sort of like, oh, well, that's as many leads as we've, we've got. No one else has bit. 
So that's kind of it for now until you come up with a new product or a new story. It's a new story. You know, this is 12 months' work of hard work. I'm not going through that again to, to figure out a new new idea. Um, you know, this is it. Let's just keep getting it. Let's look at some new channels. You know, we're a health drink. So I guess for us, sort of relying on people to do everything we're so passionate and has so much energy for, you know, it was never going to happen. So now, you know, I do PR, I do social media, I do the marketing. Liam does all the distribution, all the sales, all the, you know, he's on the phone all the time, you know, so we've sort of got our roles. But I think our failure was just thinking, you know, we weren't good enough to do these internal jobs and then we had to outsource it. But, you know, now I'm doing the social media and since May last year, you look at it before, May, there's posts of palm trees and VW beetles and, and, and watermelon lollipops. It's like, it's so irrelevant. You know, now I'm posting quotes, reviews, video content, pictures of our product because everyone loves our product. Let's post pictures of the product. You know what I mean? So, but before that, we were so worried that we weren't going to do a good enough job to justify all the hard work we'd done. So we outsourced everything. So I th- one thing that I regret and I think was a failure was not having the confidence to take everything on ourselves early on. And, but, but, you know, again, that's a learning curve and now we're doing just about everything. To be honest, our overheads are less than $2,000 a month almost because we are doing everything, um, especially at a time like this now. How we, you know, and, and we decided to do this in January, so just before sort of the bushfires hit and then into a you know, crazy you know, health crisis, you know, overheads are low. So I think that's um, – it, it was lucky, but, you know, that was our learning curve from it. But, yeah, so I think we just need to have a bit more confidence and, and, and do things ourselves and, and back ourselves. Mm. How can we better back ourselves? It's hard because, again, it was from that, it was from failing and then learning. So, but, but I think um, I, I didn't realise I was going to be good at doing the Beiju social media until I tried it. So maybe that's that word. And then Liam didn't know how easy it was going to be getting into all these IGAs and then he went into two or three, realised his a good salesperson realized he's got a great product and realized that the managers also want to make money and it's a, and it's a great basket add-on for items we're already purchasing. So we tried distribution ourselves and we learned, wow, this is cool. Then I tried all the social media. I'd never done PR. I asked someone, how do you write a press release? And I Googled it. So I wrote a press release and I wrote end at the end because all of the other ones had end at the end of press releases. I was like, well, it's obviously the end. But anyway, so I've got our press release and then I wrote end. And then, you know, my email and I sent it out to all these different people and people started biting and saying, hey, this is a cool story. Hey, thanks for sharing. And I attached photos. I attached a video of us in Korea um, drinking soju with the, the pear farm boss and singing James Blunt at the end of it. You know, like, like, and they're like, this is really cool content. Let's feature you. You know, but I'd never tried that before. So I think that's the key word there. You know, you, you don't know whether you're good at it or you've even got potential at doing it um, if you don't really have a try at it at least. You know, instead of wasting all this money getting someone to do it, maybe try. If you really suck at it, then get someone else to do it. (laughs) I love it. Try, try, and try again. Oh, Tim, what a story. I think what you guys are doing is just so unique. And I also just love, as I I always, you know, coming coming back to the person, I always just... I also just love how you've embraced it all. You know, you've embraced the struggles, you've embraced the sacrifices, you've embraced the fun, awesome, cool parts of this crazy journey. And, you know, I think that's something that many of our, you know, peers can take away. You know, it's for you, it's been over three and a half years in business now. You've gained, obviously, now with Beijuice, a lot of recognition for your work and with the, the cafe also. And I guess, 
I just want to take that this moment to acknowledge you for the awesome work that you've done and that you're doing and Thanks. showing us, yeah, for showing us that like we can go out there and and have purpose, find passion and, and actually do what we care about. And so for that, we really appreciate you. No worries. I, I think for me, that's something I'm really, really, really trying to share at the moment because it's great to get advice from CEOs after they've made $10 million. But right now I've got 60 bucks, two cool businesses. But, but you know, right now I feel like I can give incredible advice because I just learned three weeks ago something that's changed the course of our business. A month ago before that, I learned how, you know, so right now I'm writing sort of LinkedIn articles. I'm doing different things because I'm going through it today, tomorrow and yesterday, all these issues with finances issues with customs and logistics, issues with marketing agencies and, and what they're charging and, and what the deliverables are. Um, we're about to sell off some of our company to a partner. So right now um, we're trying to give value to our business and come to an agreement with a partnership. So, you know, what better person asked than, you know, maybe me because I'm doing it currently. I'm going to be doing it after this podcast, trying to figure out some more of the legalities and, and some of the deliverables on both of our ends. So I'm trying to take it in my stride and, and to really benefit peers and, and other people because right now I'm in the thick of it. It's challenging, but sharing it is actually helping me understand my journey more and understand that, hey, I am doing some cool things. Hey, I am giving it a crack. Um, and I think if I wasn't sharing it, it wouldn't give me some reassurance. So I recommend other people sharing and talking about it because it helps. It brings out new ideas. You know, when I'm talking out loud sometimes, I haven't planned any of this or even thought about some of the stuff I'm talking about. And you talk to someone and you're like, hey, that's a great idea or I did do that wrong or maybe I should be doing this. So I think constantly sharing the journey and and sort of having that passion and, and sort of finding some like-minded people has really, really helped me develop and grow the business as well. So thanks heaps. It's been awesome. Awesome. No, of course. It's so cool. Our final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? So value, oh, I, I think... What I'm most passionate about is is sort of creating things at the moment. And that's what I've realized. I sat with a, a family friend recently and I was explaining to him that maybe we're going to raise some capital or do some crowdfunding. And he goes, well, well what do you like most about running Bages and Benny and me? And I was like, well, I get to do all the marketing. I get to choose what events we go into. I get to choose what collaborations we do. Everything is, well, if you get heaps of money, pay yourself a wage, dilute your shares because you're also diluting your opportunity to create things and you don't really get to make as many decisions. So he goes, what do you ideally want? And I was like, well, I want to try things. I want to, I want to sponsor a festival. I want to sponsor a videographer. You know, it's great sponsoring, you know, DJs and stuff. I want to sponsor a videographer and do cool stuff with them and promote a whole new – I want to do all these – I want to try all these cool things. He goes, well, if you sell out or if you dilute your shares or – anything like that is you won't be able to do that and he goes I think that's what you're most passionate about as well so his suggestion to me was if you like creating keep creating and keep giving yourself the environment to do that so I think that's what sort of since having that conversation is like okay I think that's helped me deal with the financial issues or frustrations or stress was I don't need to be making heaps of money at the moment because we're working on a new product. We're going to sponsor a new festival. We're going to work with the coolest event company and do rooftop parties. And we're going to have these really cool activations. We're going to try and get some cool vending machines in the CBD next to a club. We're 
you know, like how cool is all that? It's so exciting. You know, I've got whiteboards full of all these different stuff because I can. But, you know, if you're just a, sort of another person in sort of the food chain, it's great to have ideas and some come off, but you can't really execute or pursue them. So what I see most valuable to me and to, to everything is that creativity piece. And, and for me, that's the most exciting bit and that's what drives me. The cafe, you know, growing all the time meant when you do a new room, we get to design it. So what colour pillows, what colour flooring, should we do benches here? Let's do a high table just to throw the balance of the room out a little bit. Oh, but if we're doing some bartending, you know, so if we're open for a bar at night, we're going to need to think about that too. So it's fun. You know, I, I purchased four different prints from a local designer, a, a local artist in South Australia yesterday to put up on our walls in our new room in our cafe for when we are back in action. So, you know, how cool is that? It's awesome. We're, we're designing our, our rooms. We're designing new products. So, for me, that's where my passion lies, and I think that, you know, hopefully the financial side of it will come with, you know, the growth and people following and following our journey and our enthusiasm and our overall passion. But I just I love that side of it. It's so exciting, and I guess there's always room for new, more, and ideas. So you're never stagnant or never bored with it. So I think for me, with ants in my pants all the time, I need I need that. What's next? And this gives me the opportunity of. What's next? So I think for me, that's what's most valuable at the moment. Love it. Ah, Tim, ladies and gentlemen, we have had a blast. Where can people learn more about you and Beidus? So definitely my my LinkedIn personally. I'm super busy on it. I'm posting content from two years ago, the day after. I I just saw the Beidus manufactured and I've got long hair and I'm swearing and I'm really rude, but I'm very, very, very excited. So I'm posting as much content as possible, being as open and honest as possible. So that's on my LinkedIn, Tim O'Sullivan. And then where to find more information about Bay Juice, definitely our website. So it's baijuiceaus.com.au. We've got some of our story. We've got some cool footage on there of us in Korea. Uh, we sell 12 and 24 packs. Um, they're rip ready, straight in your fridge. They're awesome. They're, they're our new design. And then our Instagram, we're always resharing everything, collaborating with people and just sort of having a bit more fun to try and represent our brand and, and us as owners, essentially. So yeah, that's where you'll find us. Amazing. We will link them up in the show notes, Tim. Thank you so much again. It's been awesome. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.